Hey, welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are in my office again to record today an episode on uh, Law and Gospel Revisited, probably more really a, an episode on Law and Gospel as it relates to preaching. And uh, joined in my office here by Mike. Uh, ben is unable to make it. Peter is allegedly coming, so if we hear some noise at some point, that's Peter making his way in, uh, hopefully to bring something substantial to the episode. Mike, what do you think the over-under is on him getting here and then contributing something I think he'll contribute. I think think he will. will. Well, you think he'll get here? Uh, He'll be late, but that's pretty usual. Yeah, Peter lives the closest of all of us. Um, Is it even a mile? Probably about a mile and a half. And uh, he manages consistently to be the last one here, which is impressive, and so we commend him for that. Excited to have with us a guest. We mentioned on Facebook we'd be recording, hopefully with a guest this week, and I'm going to let him introduce himself in just a second, but this is someone that I had known, at least online, for a while and through other friends. Give a shout-out to Dave Jewell, uh, my connection to half of the Missouri Synod, uh, serving in Moments, Illinois, currently. Um, But someone now that I'm privileged to know personally as he is serving in the area, he has made his way to Milwaukee and been here for, I believe now, about five months, uh, Pastor Kent Schaff, who is serving at Mount Olive. I yes. want to say Lebanon. Mount Olive. <laughs> we have a Mount Lebanon. That's why I get confused. I think Borman's there, isn't he? Yes. Um, but Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Washington in like the 50s, 54th, 55th? 50, 54th in Washington. 54th in Washington. And yeah. why don't we give you just a couple minutes here. You can tell us a little bit about yourself if you want more about where you serve or where you've been. Well, thanks. It's good to be here. Um, I feel honored to be in this uh, this cinder block uh, room. It reminds me of a seminary. Uh, <laughs> it, it, these, it that feel. these used to be dorm rooms at one point. Yeah, I, many uh, many a tear filled night uh, sitting and looking at uh, cinder block uh, walls in Fort Wayne when I went to seminary. But uh, now, how much was it that because of Dave or maybe uh, Broer Erickson, a frequent guest, I think was there with you as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So no, no. Dave's a great guy, and so so is Broer, and and had a lot of great uh, memories. I'm actually serving right now with a classmate of mine, uh, Stephen Rosebrock, who is ordained, but he's our music director at Mount Olive. But uh, no, I've been here since uh, June, and uh, previously uh, came here from Grass Valley, California, uh, Grace Lutheran Church out there, uh, wonderful uh, church up in the the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, and then uh, uh, serve. All Saints Lutheran Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, for almost 13 years. Married, got four kids, four daughters. So um, uh, oldest turns 12 tomorrow. So, nice. Uh, yeah. So you, you you did the both of the of the coasts, and you decided to return to the middle of America. I did. Uh, I I didn't know what to think of California when I got out there, um, it, but the 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 cost of the living was was uh, kind of what made us move back and and also the uh fact that we we didn't have any family out there so uh but i learned so much from the people out there uh amazing people uh taught me a lot about uh, uh being open i know that's probably not something to say <laughs> in a religious podcast but being open to, to different viewpoints different different uh ways people think and so forth and here at mount olive it's um uh, February, we celebrate 125 years. It's the oldest English-only speaking congregation uh, in Milwaukee. Huh. Uh, was started out as an English-only congregation, and 
it's got a pretty vibrant school, uh, lots of diversity in the school. And I've been called as the administrative pastor for catechesis and outreach. Um, I'm not just uh, doing a bunch of paperwork, but I'm actually in the school uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for three hours teaching middle school theology. Uh, nice. To a, uh, about 65 middle schoolers. I will say, too, a beautiful building. I was there two or three weeks ago for Divine Service. We went to check it out uh, with my family, and uh, Kent had just a fantastic sermon on the Five Wise and Five Foolish Virgins. Um, enjoyed it immensely, and beautiful building, uh, inside and out, really. Uh, favorite, off the top of your head, you've been here five months, favorite Milwaukee thing so far? Uh, the cheese. The cheese, that's a good answer. <laughs> Peter just showed up. Peter, you got any wisdom for us? We're in the intro right now. No, I'm still out of breath from climbing all those stairs. Uh, well, congratulations on making it. I hope you found a decent parking spot. There's something happening on campus today, so there was a lot of bodies here. I will just add briefly, um, Mike and I, um, didn't expect anybody else necessarily to do this, but we did read in preparation for today, at least, Micah, you were going to read. Did you read it? Yes. Um, uh, August Peeper, The Proper Distinction of Law and Gospel and Its Application for Pure Teaching and Spiritual Life. And that's by no means the the basis for the episode necessarily, but it was kind of to get thoughts going for myself, at least. That is in the Wauwatosa Theology, uh, Volume 2, August Peeper, the brother of Franz Peeper, who Wisconsin Synod, uh, loaned to the Missouri Synod to become their premier theologian for a, a while. Uh, that being and said... And Reinhold Pieper stayed back in Germany writing good sermons. I thought he was over here. Well, actually, yeah, he was, but he wrote it They're all, all in They're all brothers. <laughs> Why would they... Yeah, but that would have... I mean, if they poor, left poor, poor Reinhold behind. <laughs> 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 all right, well, um, Reinhold, he... Uh, we'll have to give him his own episode. He's kind of the... Uh, like the who's the two apostles that have their day combined and we don't really know anything about them? Timothy and Titus? No, no. we know about them. Jude and Simon. Jude and Simon. Oh. Yeah, kind of. Reinhold would be with with them, I think. Uh, but we'll make our way then in a moment to the scripture narrative. But first, Mike, how about that disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because while as a, res- a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our scripture narrative as we get ready today to talk about law and gospel and preaching. And I have to say, guys, I was uh, kind of thumbing through the scriptures, and I, I found a pretty interesting passage I thought maybe we could talk about today. And so I'll give it a read, and then I guess you can jump in and, and let me know your thoughts. Um, and harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God. They shall be numbered against the seed of thy father. Yea, they shall be numbered among the house of Israel, and they shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever. They shall be no more brought down into captivity, and the house of Israel shall no, shall no more be confounded. Right. Huh? I'm not, what are what, you reading from? Where, what, what book is this from, Wade? Uh, it uh, it this... looks like a Bible. I found it on uh, Mike's shelf. It's Book of Mormon. <laughs> we, we don't... 
we don't use that. We don't, we don't call that scriptures. Oh, I, um, di- I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, we don't tell the provost then, I guess. But uh, we we apologize, uh, and we're just gonna go to the free for all. Yeah, let's I get think. out of here. Once again, we apologize for Wade. Um, it's kind of like the uh, the theme of the podcast, apologize for Wade. Um, I don't know what's wrong with him, but uh, we're, we're trying to figure it out. Um, before we get into the free-for-all, Wade's got a few things that he wants to plug. Hopefully, it goes a little better than the uh, scripture narrative. Well, I do apologize, everyone, but you have to admit that did sound pretty bible right? And some of you out there were, were maybe nodding along. Um, if you do, I'm I'm sure there's absolutely Peter for that Peter too. Peter was until I <laughs> yeah Peter was getting all excited he uh, he really liked the the first book of Nephi um, or how Nephi I don't know how you say it but uh, just a couple things we wanted to mention I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast so I'm going to be reading from notes I sent to Mike and Peter uh, with the plea to please remind me to do this at the beginning of the podcast so I, I would like to thank them as well. Um, It's our fault. Yeah. I just want to briefly mention again, uh, many of you are aware from the last few episodes or sessions that uh, 1517 is doing their campaign right now for donations to get them, um, I guess, for next year as they can kind of work ahead for the podcast network. I'd encourage you to think about giving for that uh, if you have enjoyed the podcast or their other podcasts. Uh, They do do a lot to help uh, those of us who are podcasting with things like uh, having a server in which to to store things, um, technological things, equipment, things of that sort. So if you are interested in that, you can go to 1517.org slash give. There is a place there uh, if you would like to note in the comments, or this is on behalf of, if you would like to mention the podcast, you're more than welcome to mention that you are giving because uh, you are a Let the Bird Fly listener, but you by no means need to do that either. Um, also, just a reminder, if you're ever interested, we do have up on the Facebook page, and I'll post it again. If you would like a Let the Bird Fly shirt or hoodie, those are available. We don't make money off of it, but it is a great way to kind of get uh, the word out there about the podcast. So check those out if you're interested. Um, we continue to forget to ask you to please, uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, subscribe, like, rate, review, share, all of those things. Um, it helps expand the conversation, and we really do appreciate it. kind of gives us a boost if people are searching for podcasts, too. We do have something up on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram right now um, asking for ideas you might have for episodes, but also any questions you might have that we could address in a Q&A episode or session. So I encourage you to check that out and let us know. Otherwise, you can also email any questions or episode ideas you might have. And that email address, uh, Mike and I have never learned. We just make it up. Peter, what's the real email address? It's uh, it's difficult. It's podcast at letthebirdfly.com. That is a tricky so one. podcast at letthebirdfly.com. And uh, just to kind of give you a heads up, too, we have a burst coming up here. Mike is really... Um, been disciplined scheduling a lot of recording for us in the next few weeks with a lot of exciting guests. So um, we're hoping to have a number of episodes with guests from a variety of perspectives. Get back to some of the stuff we did earlier in the uh, in the podcast, getting to talk to people from different disciplines. So be looking for that, as well as we're hoping to have kind of a uh, 
a bulk drop of some winging it sessions, hopefully three or four at once to get you started. But Mike and I are working our way through the life of Luther. So look for that. Um, We're hoping to get it out before Christmas. So if you're traveling, maybe it gives you something to binge on uh, or at least something to download and then erase so we get credit for having put it out. Um, And then last, uh, well, no, that's all I had, I think. So with that being said, Peter, why don't you get us into our free-for-all topic? Yeah, one more thing to plug, though. We've got a, we have a, a Telegram channel, so if you are on the messaging app Telegram, you can find our Telegram channel at letthebirdfly.com slash Telegram, and uh, you can join the, the four other uh, subscribers there, whatever they are. So. Also, is the, is the email list working? If they subscribe to that, we, we've had a blog post, I think, for two or three days in a row, and we have them set up for most of the next week. So we are trying to get written content out there more again, too, if people are interested, um, especially uh, devotional stuff we've been putting out. Yep, yeah. If you um, sign up for the for the email list, you will, will message you whenever a new uh, post goes up. Uh, we have a devotions list and all posts list and then a, a giveaway list, I think. So sign up for any or all of those and, uh, and we'll be in touch with you. But let's get to the free-for-all. Sounds like a good idea. So the question that we're asking today is uh, what would you rather live without? If we had to get rid of one altogether, books or computers, so your life no longer you know, has in it books or computers. And so, we mean physical books, so you can still have books on your computer. Yeah, yeah, we're not getting rid of, like, words, so we, just books that contain the words. But um, So, Mike, why don't we start with you? I think Wade and I decided to stick with books. Um, you just gave away my thing, Mike. We were supposed to build up to it. Um <laughs> It wasn't a very Christian move. So I'm going to go with books instead of computers, even though, um, like for a computer, there's not only can you have that content, but you can search. You could search the Book of Mormon for your favorite passages (laughs) and stuff like that. Or you could search what you're reading to find out if it is the Book of Mormon. That would be a really helpful. That that would have been helpful today. Um, I just think more information, which is what the computer brings to us means that we know the information we know far less. And I, I think it's better to know um, uh, information better than having more information, more of a quality over quantity kind of thing. And so I like both, but if I had to give one up, I would give up computers. Actually, what I would do is give up cell phones for my daughters. Is, is that, would that include, if I could get rid of computers, I think computers does that include? includes any device. Then sign me up for that. Then they would be, uh, you know, stuck sitting in their rooms reading books or what? Is that your, is that how you see this working? Well, even if that wasn't the case, I would still get rid of phones <laughs> for my daughters. Wade, I'm just curious, what would you get rid of? You know, I think, uh, and this is probably going to come as a surprise. I don't think people really could see this coming, but uh, but I would I would stick with the books. I would get rid of the computers. Really, too. I've actually you, partly. Ben huh. is always acting like he knows so much more than me. Like when it comes to computers and and you know social network stuff, and mostly because he does. Um, he did just uh, fish a broken like headphone jack out of my computer not too long ago, and so I, I shouldn't tease about that. But. Uh, I've been reading lately a couple of these books about, like, what the computer is doing to our brains. And now, like, there's one I'm reading that's really good on how, like, big tech's trying to take over the world. Um, it actually would be a really good episode. Don't get me wrong. I'm not getting off Facebook or anything. But uh, I think that 
I would, the few things that I actually should remember that are like my job to remember, like the Bible and theology, would I would retain much better in book form. And uh, I also think I'd be a whole lot more productive. So I would say I would keep books um, and uh, especially as someone now who has also had Ben repair his computer because I spilled, uh, well, I'll be honest, I spilled booze in it. Um, the one time, and then Seven Up another time, um, there was booze in it Seven booze. Up. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, um, but that that one got that, repaired. That's how your headphone jack. Yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> well, then he fell you over. T- <laughs> no, I didn't. Please fall over. tell me about this on the way home. So. <laughs> but uh, I would say, if you do that with a book, you're like, oh, my book's wet, and then you just dry your book off. But like with a computer, then I wouldn't be able to do anything, and so. I'm going to go uh, with book, and I'll throw it to, I don't know, Peter, you or Kent? Whatever yeah, go ahead, and Kent. What's your thoughts? Uh, I would keep cheese. Uh, <laughs> well, I love the cheese here. I'm sorry. No, I would, I actually, I know you guys asked me about this earlier. Um, I actually think I would keep books uh, as well, surprisingly, uh, maybe from what I said earlier. But I think the minute that, you know, North Korea drops a, a electromagnetic yeah. bomb over the United States, you know, my phone, which I was just looking at and everything else, um, goes away. But <clears throat> I like your idea of no phones for daughters. Uh, mine turns 12 tomorrow and she's been asking for a phone and we've been, uh, firm to say, no, you're not I'm ready. Actually, I have it's t- interesting you mentioned that because I, uh, <laughs> I'm getting Peter's oldest daughter a phone. We were talking in Who's also 12 and she doesn't and, have a phone yet. And so Wade came up to her and asked her if she felt, uh, what did you, oppressed, I think? Well, because I like to give her a hard time because, you know, we just kind of, when our kids are born, we've given them phones. Um, <laughs> and so. Uh, well, and Ben says that the third birthday is the phone birthday, I think. Yeah. And so <laughs> I like to tease Oliva about that. And so I asked her today, well, if I if I got you a phone and put you on my plan, would your parents let you have it? And she said, probably not. And that pretty much solidified that I'm now <laughs> saving up to get her a phone just to, just for, like, the devastating moment where she sees it and, you know, like, she's a little bit excited, but she knows it's going to get taken away. <laughs> so um, that uh, that's uh, also – phones are also an issue. I, in the, I am uh, never introducing you to my children. <laughs> that's a that's good just, idea, Ken. Pastor yeah. Borderlands <laughs> girls actually came up to me once at softball. So you guys know uh, John from the show. And his daughters play softball in the same organization as, as mine and actually are on the same teams. Or Emma is every other year on my team. And uh, when our youngest – or Anna got a phone. I can't remember how long ago it was. But the Borderland girls actually – came up to me and said, will you adopt us so we can have phones? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Peter, go ahead, though. No, so that, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and say that Ben would go with computers mostly because he thinks getting done with school means you can stop reading books. So um, my guess is that, that Ben is on my side here. Because I believe he calls books fake news, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. He calls yeah. most things fake news, though. Um, no, I would definitely go with computers, and, and uh, that's not because I don't I don't love a good book. In fact, I hate reading books on a computer or even on a tablet on a reader. Um, it's just not the same thing. What you about Mister Men? Would you read that on a Kindle? Ooh, well, I mean, if you didn't have anything else, oh. you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta read some Mister Men. Um, but uh, no, I would I'd keep the computers because like like you kind of all alluded to, you can read your books on your computers. It might not be as uh, as desirable, but you can have it and. Uh, can do a whole lot more on computers like YouTube and dank memes. So, shout out to Nick there with the memes. We've been uh, I got on Instagram to start a podcast page, and so now 
Nick and I have been exchanging memes, and it's been probably some of the most meaningful bonding Nick and I have had. Um, the uh, I'm, I uh, I think it's really a high point in our relationship so far. Um, for those so, for those that don't know, Nick is uh, Wade's eldest son. Yeah, and he is um, the meme lord. Um, I believe is how he refers to himself sometimes. And so he's an expert on <laughs> dank memes, and he's been helping me learn the uh, the art of the meme. So I've been sending some memes to you guys in Telegram, but no one has responded yet. I, I've muted that that yeah. conversation. Also, another reason I'd like to get rid of computers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that I'm I'm done. Does anyone else have anything else? Any any defense for your precious books that take up too much space and can burn in a fire? Okay. Let's oh, move on. Oh, what then. computers can't burn in a fire? <laughs> Not as quickly. <laughs> when the apocalypse comes, I will be uh, grasping my Bible and Book of Mormon, and your computer <laughs> won't even work. <laughs> And that brings us to our main topic. And just before we get into that, guys, I was thinking after we wrapped up that free-for-all, it reminded me of, uh, I am not endorsing this show, so don't go watch this show and then blame me if there's something inappropriate in it. Uh, Peter told me about it. I would not watch it myself. <laughs> but uh, in the show The League, uh, there's uh, one of the characters, Taco, is kind of this kind of out-there guy. And he created my face, which was Facebook for real life. So you would actually interact physically with people. And so... Uh, Kent has me a little freaked out about this electromagnet bomb thing now. And so I just want to, you guys here to know that I'm thinking of starting my own MyFace. Um, and you can expect friend requests in the next week or so. I hope you will accept them. Uh, if anybody would like to be my uh, MyFace friend, I'd encourage you to come to the college. Uh, come on up to the third floor, say hello, and we can go ahead and hook that up. I'm working on how to kind of do memes, maybe poster boards, something like that. Um, but just want to throw that out there, uh, Peter. Would you be my ma- my face friend? I'm not sure I understand how the uh, how how this interface is. Like, what do I what do I need to do? Well, like if I want to talk to you, I'll just kind of be outside your window at your house, and you know, we'll if we want to message at night, or um, I want to show you like a picture of my lunch or something. I think that I think that is technically against the law. It's uh, maybe it's in Wauwatosa, not Milwaukee. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. We'll make our way to the main topic of law and gospel, especially in preaching, and I'm just gonna. Uh, have a short passage here from August Pieper once again, um, the brother of Franz Pieper and, as Peter noted, of Reinhold as well, who may or may not have been left in Germany. But uh, <laughs> August writes writes this. I should have looked that up because I'm pretty sure you're right. But Yeah, I don't know why he would be in Germany, yeah. but we'll go with it if you want. Um, but once again, this is from the proper distinction of uh, law and gospel and its application for pure teaching and spiritual life. He writes, these uh, law and gospel, these are really the only two document doctrines in the revealed word. They are the only things we have to preach for salvation and for sanctification. Everything else in scripture is decoration, linguistic form, a means for understanding and proclaiming them. And I think that's something hopefully we can kind of unpack as we're talking today. That if, we, uh, if we're not getting law and gospel, that that's you know, the, the core, the kernel of the scriptures, as they relate to Christ, who is, of course, the center and beating heart of the scriptures, then uh, we are going to uh, struggle, whether that be in our vocations as parents or spouses, brothers, sisters, friends, um, as teachers, 
uh, we're going to struggle, especially as pastors in the pulpit or when we're dealing with people in our office. So just once again, everything else in Scripture, he says, besides this uh, law and gospel, the two doctrines in the revealed word, is decoration, linguistic form, a means for understanding and proclaiming them. And maybe, uh, Mike, I can throw it to you first because I'm hesitant to put anybody else on the, on the spot unfairly. Um, but I'm comfortable doing that to you. Why don't you just briefly uh, remind our list? We've got listeners from a variety of backgrounds. They're not all Lutheran. Um, how would you describe, I mean, I could do it, but I'll be talking forever. How would you describe law and gospel for someone that's not very familiar with how we use those terms in Lutheran theology or what I would say is biblical Pauline theology? Yeah, I when I was teaching catechism on a regular basis, I would go, the law is the will of God and the gospel is the good news of salvation. I think now when I say it to um, our students, especially our intro students here, or taking the intro classes, is the law, it, more what it is, but what it does. So the, the law, and this is from the Heidelberg Disputation, of course, um, you know, the law says do this and is never done, and the gospel says believe this and it's already done. Start there. I think that's, <laughs> um, it, it's to get to the point of the two kinds of righteousness, to get to the point that you cannot keep the law, right? And, and we'll talk about third use of the law all day long if you want. I mean, it, and, but it's always going to be under this umbrella of the mere use, first of all, pushing us to making us ripe for killing us so that we can be resurrected by the gospel, that salvation in Christ where we don't have to do anything at all. That and then the from there, use, yeah. And then there comes freedom. And uh, from that freedom, we're free um, not just to do what we want, but we're free from sin. At least the saint of us is, the as I, a saint, completely a saint, I'm free to now love my neighbor. And it's it, and then, really, to get to the point where you say, "I just do this stuff because that's who I am." It's kind of like there's a pile of dirty dishes there, and and once in a while you just do them and you didn't think at all. I hope my wife sees that I did this, or I'm complaining about uh, somebody left those in there. You just did it because you you did it. That's who you are. I mean, that's kind of a silly example, but I think it actually kind of hits home a little bit. So, you know, the law is um, uh, for, it, it shows me my sin, and it's more than that. It shatters me. It hammers me. There's, there's no hope at all. And maybe just back to Peeper a little bit. I'm rambling here, but uh, it's a beautiful uh, article that he wrote here, and he really, I, I like the way he set it up. And I can, I, when I was reading it, I was imagining uh, the pastors of his day reading this or hearing this for the first time and talking about how you have to have truth and you have to fight for every doctrine. And there's no part of scripture that we have the right to the right to say, oh, that doesn't matter. And he sets up that everybody's like, yeah, you know, yeah, the truth and everything. And then he says, but if you cannot distinguish between law and gospel, kind of, I'm putting words into his mouth mouth what's the point then right uh you can have everything correct but if you are not and then to take it to preaching if you're not preaching the gospel well you know here's some you know you'll get a gold star on your test 
but you haven't you done have anything. You don't have salvation nor right. sanctification. So uh, he really does a brilliant job of kind of setting it up. And I have a feeling that he did that on purpose. The language he he uses in that first section, he's kind of setting you up to go, yeah, the truth, the truth, the truth. And then says, but here is where you are a true doctor of the church, to quote Luther, when you can properly distinguish between law and gospel. And I'll just throw in, and then I'm going to let the rest of you talk some more too. Along those lines, Mike, he has a great line in here uh, where he says, this wrath of God, so the, the law announces the wrath of God. This wrath of God is not a picture of wrath, right? It's not an abstraction, just something we explain or talk about, but it is the actual Fuhrer day, right? The anger of God. Um, leading to his curse and judgment of damnation. In other words, God's law isn't just you're going to be in trouble if God's law is you're in trouble, right, that the law is doing something. And I think that'll be something hopefully interesting to connect as we go on. We'll talk, hopefully we'll remember to talk later about first order proclamation when it comes to the gospel. And I think it's important to understand there can be a first order proclamation when it comes to the law, Um or else we end up talking a lot about the law and we don't actually get to the law as it is. Yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely come back to the idea of the, preaching about the gospel versus preaching the gospel, but the same is true about preaching about the law and preaching the law. And under that uh, that quote that you just read, I had checkmarked that and talking about it being the, the, the fury of God the, and saying, and I wrote underneath that, and we make it something less. We make the law something less. And in the name of the law, we do that often. Like, we're trying to help the law along. Yeah, well, we should kick it to our guest here. What are your initial thoughts about law and gospel, especially when it comes to preaching? <clears throat> that's a that's a fascinating quote. Uh, I like, what is, the, what is the word he used? Decoration? Everything else is decoration yeah. around all of this. Um, yeah, I, my first parish in Charlotte, um, All Saints in Charlotte that I serve. I mean, Charlotte, for those of you who don't know, is is a heavy Reformed town, uh, Presbyterian-based. And uh, we would have quite a few Reformed seminary students that would pop down to my church because uh, we actually had a professor at that seminary who was a member of my church, <laughs> <laughs> kind of secretly. But uh, he would he was a Luther scholar. Uh, Harold O.J. Brown was his name, and he would he would tell the students, you know, if you want to see sort of doctrine and practice at play, come come down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were always there were always these guys that would come down with their Bibles, and they would hear the distinction play out in the sermon of law and gospel, and that was always the thing that really piqued their interest. Something that they always heard it was sort of the hallmark of of sort of Lutheran preaching, but one of them, uh, one, one of the seminary students who talked to me one day after church, um, he told me, he said, it, it's not so formulaic, though, at least from where I, when I in terms of my, my preaching, you know, there. He said it's, it's, it's cutting to the heart, but he said it's also this encompassing idea that this is the summation of the world that we live in, that, that the law is all around us. It, it just browbeats us with, with everything uh, that we see around us. I just talked to my junior confirmands tonight about this, that uh, how, do we, how do we view each other in society? And seventh grader said it very, very aptly. He said, all we do is judge each other. It's all we do. That's 
all we are basically brought up to do in, in, in life. We judge each other with the hair, clothes, what you drive, all of these things. And an attempt to, to justify ourselves, to bring our own value. I, I'm judging you primarily so that I feel better about myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think when you get into that aspect of, of being one who proclaims the law, it doesn't have to necessarily be something that is, okay, now here we are going to speak about the law. It is certainly applying, and I love, I love what you said there in terms of, of killing people. But it's also, I think, critical that we know our hearers, too, from the perspective of how much is the law absolutely beating down on on them? Uh, if somebody is uh, abused, um, if somebody is dealing with uh, personal struggles and so forth with sin and so forth, I mean, how much how much more do they need to to be to be hearing sort of in a, in a fiery sort of way from the pulpit uh, from from the pastor? And I realize that when you're preaching to a couple hundred people a Sunday like I am, it's such a broad uh, uh, group that you're, you're dealing with. But as I was telling Wade on, on the ride over here, one of the kind of shots between the eyes for me with taking this call and what I'm doing now is preaching to um, my chapel uh, at, at school, preaching to 4K through 8th graders, and how do you how do you talk about law and gospel to them you know and i i keep it very simple and we we talk about this in chapel we i dialogue in my chapel sermons there i know some would probably you know put me in some category for doing that but uh it's it's talking about how do we how do we treat each other how do you treat each other in class how do you how do we do these things and they they kind of flesh these things out, and, and then I, in a sense, sort of confirm, yes, this is who we are. This is exactly who we are. And then it leads up to this, to, yes, the gospel with it. But I think in, in our proclamation, um, that idea of what this this reform guy told me, I'd never really thought about it. He, I think he was expecting to come in and it be some, some sort of, I don't know, formula, I guess, that you have to start with this. And there's this clear, clear dividing line when you stop shouting <laughs> with the law, <laughs> and then you speak softly with the gospel and, and, and so forth. And he said it, it just kind of is, I think a, a good way of, of looking at this is, is that you, uh, you are killed with this, but it's also not something that um, I have to bring the hammer to do, to do it with. Uh, the the uh, the question I think the difficulty is that that proper distinction right and and finding that that dividing line because when in way back on I think it was episode eleven we talked about law and gospel and we talked I think um, Ben introduced me to the concept of the law gospel law sandwich for the sermon which I because I was complaining about that about that structure um, that when you leave with sanctification that really turns into law and uh, that you're leaving them with you know in a way hopelessness right I mean that that's gonna be death and so but we talked about that and that distinction and understanding that the law is there and like you were saying it's all it's always present it's I mean it's it's constantly condemning us mm-hmm. and I think our judging is actually oftentimes an attempt to kind of stave off the law and say, mm-hmm. well, it doesn't really apply to me or it's not so bad for me. And so we're, we know it's there. We're right. fighting against right. that. And 
to, to understand then where the gospel comes in and says, no, it's what from the Heidelberg Disputation, it's already been done for you. Mm-hmm. You, know? mm-hmm. you were going to say something, Mike? I, I think something, too, uh, as we, we look at this, maybe, and I've got a bunch of notes that I scribbled uh, during the announcements after church today. And uh, How did you have enough time to scribble notes then, Wade? <laughs> it, uh, you can see I, I had a while. Uh, but that's fine. It was good announcements. Uh, but we had uh, one of the things that I wanted us to, to talk a little bit about is, and it's a term I think that when most people use it now, oftentimes it comes up a connection with uh, Gerhard Fierdy's, uh Theology is for Proclamation. And I kind of am tired of having to like give caveats every time you mention people that aren't Wells or maybe Missouri theologians. So I'll just say if we, if we brag about our worker training systems, um, I'm going to go ahead and trust that pastors can be a little bit discerning in what they read. But one of the helpful distinctions that Ferdy um, brings up in, in that book um, is that is the idea of first-order proclamation. And just to give you a sense for what that means is um, that the text is not just there for us to explain, for us to throw out you know, a certain amount of data, um, for us to, to you know, kind of walk through, well, isn't it nice that in Israel there was this, and then Jesus did this, and this person had leprosy, which means that. Um, but to actually make a move from theology to proclamation, uh, that the text is meant to do something to the people, that the Word of God is living and active, right? It does things. Um, and so not to uh, handcuff the text and not to be afraid to, to let the Spirit do with it as it will, but to actually be bold in proclamation. And first order proclamation comes up especially with the gospel, but I think we can apply it to the law as well. But maybe if I can explain it with the gospel and then we go where we go um, with the law, is I think the easiest way it is for me to understand and something that's been, I, uh, I messaged in the Telegram group the other night that I had been reading through a bunch of my old sermons because I've been looking for material to revise to get up on the website. And I, uh, Ben's the only one who had ever really been to my parish back when I was in it, and then uh, used to listen sometimes to the sermon, and I, I just asked, I said, Ben, how could you let me do this? <laughs> and uh, what I could see I sometimes was doing in those sermons was giving with one hand and taking away with the other. The gospel just became one step towards a move towards trying to get people to behave, cooperate, whatever I thought, you know, the soup du jour was. Um, to be in church more often, maybe to give more, um, to be better parents. And those are all good things. Going to church is good. Supporting your church is good. Being good parents is good. Um, But the gospel is just not a springboard to that. But more than that, when we talk about first-order proclamation, we mean not simply talking about the gospel and hoping that your hearers will then be equipped to appropriate that to themselves, which is something, by the way, they're less and less equipped to do in our day as they're probably— more poorly catechized than in previous generations even, Um, but actually appropriating it to them, if I can use those terms, that's maybe not the clearest language, but just absolving, um, making the gospel clear so that there's no step they have to make, um, but that is put out there. And I think the same could apply to the law too, not merely talking about the law. Maybe the easiest way to understand this is the use of you in preaching, right? Um, that you are actually talking to your people. Now, to do that well, you have to know your people. You have to be talking to your people. You have to get a sense for what your people are going through. 
if you're going to preach specific law to your people, you got to know the sins they're struggling with, which is hopefully why, you know, your office is open and they feel comfortable coming in and, and confessing. Um, but not, not leaving the hearer to have to make um, a step on their own, but actually simply um, giving the word that kills and makes alive. I don't know if I can explain it better than that, but I'll toss it out there for any of you three to maybe respond to that. Disagree if you want, or I guess if you're getting what I'm after, let me know if I'm on the right track there. Yeah, one thing is is to know your people, and, and it's very hard. Um, so, Wade, I absolve you for your crappy sermons your first couple of years in, in Saginaw. Um, I got some, too. That's why I erased mine, um, because they are forgotten as far as the East is from the West, and it's, I can't find them on a computer anywhere. Um, if I may say, book? I, I've, I've never kept any of my nope. sermons. Yeah. Never have. Done. I'm done with them. <laughs> once, once they come out, they're done. Um, <clears throat> And so it's very hard for uh, a seminarian to come out and now be a pastor for a couple of reasons. One, just not being seasoned, um, but also you just don't have people there yet. And I, I'm sure you had this experience where somebody will say, you must have written that sermon exactly for, for me. And uh, I wanted to say, nope, I was thinking about somebody else, though. <laughs> <laughs> and But you just kind of generally know your people. And and the for you language, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that's it. It can be as simple as for you, right? You, you, you. Um, God both, so loved in, the world is is great, but for you is, yeah. is awesome too. And, and both both in law and gospel, but also you you kind of get to the point and people trust you and you're in their lives and you know, um, not just oh they're dealing with this sin, so I better I be, I better. Uh, headed off at the pass and start talking about alcoholism, you know? No, it's just, um, you just know what they've been through and you know um, when they're down and when they're up and that kind of stuff. And and some of the language that I, I started using more and more, and I kind of pulled back because I was saying this too much, but the attitude was still there. Like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I promise you that this is going to, this is going to turn out all right for you. Um, maybe not, and not in a hokey yeah, like not you know. maybe not not here, but for all eternity. And to have those moments when everything else in their life tells them you got to do this. If you don't do this, you must do this. You know, we talked about the tyranny of if and the tyranny of must. That we're never going to be satisfied. And there's there's never a point where you don't have more work to do. There's never a point where you don't have more worries that are coming around the corner. There's never a point when you don't have something um, for the next day to do. And that stuff can hang over people. And just to say, man, you know, I even got up sometimes and says, listen, you know, some of you are going to, some of you are going to have some really bad stuff. Some of you are going to maybe bury your children, but here's, here's the message of the gospel and it's going to be okay. So it wasn't so, it wasn't always just, um, specific law to their specific situation, although that's necessary and valuable, but sometimes, and just became natural after a while being in a parish, it just became, sometimes you just want to say, you know what, here, here's, here's Jesus. And, uh, this is all I have to offer and it's more than enough. I, um, I'm teaching middle school theology. Uh, it's the first time I've ever served with a school. 
That's the third ring of purgatory, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have 65 uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And one of the first things that we talked about was this idea of law and gospel. And I was kind of racking my brain thinking, how am I going to talk to them about this so that they can, for this large span of, uh, of kids who are from all different backgrounds, all different religious backgrounds. And I put up a picture of a judge. And I said, what do you, what's the first thing you think of with a judge? And every one of them, oh, he's, he's sending you to jail. He's, uh, he's the final word, so to say. And I asked him, I said, is there anything good that can come out of the judge? And they, they really had to stop and think. And I said, what's the best thing the judge could say to you? The judge could actually say to you, this for you, you are free. You are absolutely free. You are free to walk out of the courtroom. And the kids, you know, I think they kind of grasp this idea that, uh, um, wow, the, the judge actually could come down with that sentence. They were looking at it again from this perspective of, if I go into the courtroom, you know, it's bad. Even if you're not guilty, you know that you did not do this. You have a, you know, somebody, a prosecutor who is pinning you against the wall, telling everybody in the courtroom, you have a judge looking down at you, and that's that's sort of the thing. But if he absolutely says that that one little blessed sentence, not guilty, how are you going to respond when you when you walk out of the courtroom? And I think that's where this whole third use type of thing comes into play. I've been given a new lease on life. I'm free. Uh, I have a whole different perspective on things. I thought I was going to be in in prison. Now I'm I'm actually free to go be with my family, do these other things. And kind of going off a little bit from what you were talking about earlier, this idea of the third use. I, I tend to to look at it from the perspective as a pastor, whether you agree with this or not, as as in my preaching and teaching and, and, and talking with people as an affirmation of what they're doing, that this is a holy thing that God is doing. Not that you have to do this, but, you know, coaching your daughter's softball team, picking me up on a cold Milwaukee night and bringing me over here where I don't know where I'm at. Um, you guys actually being friendly to me. Uh, we'll see how that happens after <laughs> after tonight. But uh, um, those are all holy things. And I think, uh, at least from my perspective as a, as, a, as a pastor, a lot of people are saying, well, what do I need to do now? And I, I try to affirm, no, look at what God is doing in you right now. And that that is being lived out in and through you. Um, and most of the time, this whole third use thing, you're not even supposed to know it. You're not supposed to know that this is happening. Uh, otherwise, we just we start turning it back onto Your ourselves. Right hand shouldn't know what your left is doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's uh, two things that was very, very difficult, I think, for a lot of Lutheran preachers is I don't want to preach sanctification to the point where... Uh, it becomes another law. That was a huge concern of mine, mm -hmm. and yet you need to preach the truth, church, uh, the truth, and you need to say, you know, go go live this way. The other the other 
One was how do I not fall into how do how do I speak against injustice without without turning something into a social gospel? And the language you just used was vocational language. Mm-hmm. That's that's the answer to both of those. Is that the different concept of vocation? It means you got to preach vocation in a very for you got to teach vocation, I should say, and uh, and let's say an academic way so that they understand it so that when you do preach it, you're not constantly saying, okay, you have a call from God and here's vocation or whatever. You get to the point where you're, you have a long pastorate where they, they know what you're talking about. You know, like, you know, you, the way you describe that, you didn't use the word vocation, but I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's, that's what it is. I'm being lifted to a startling degree and what a privilege it is to be a part of this process of in God's economy of love where he happens to use me to do something in the world and by the time you have contemplated that the tasks already done and you haven't thought about your sanctification points at all at all and I think it's helpful to remember in connection with this too is when we talk about uses of the law and for the 18,000th time uh, I do believe in three uses of the law I confess article 6 of the formula of Concord Um, But when we talk about that, one thing that's important to remember is that law is always law. It's not like we've now divvied it up, and sometimes you hear people talk about, well, this is a non-accusing form of the law. No, the law is always the law, and so long as you're a sinner, the law is always accusing. This This is just how we know the law in this life, and that's also how we know the law under the cross, right? The third use also, the formula talks about, is because our flesh is like a recalcitrant ass, uh, I believe is the language it uses, and we need to be mortified. Um, and so that law is is, is still um, curb and mirror as that's taking place. And so in preaching, that helps to remind us that even when you think, now I've made my move to this or that use, that law is is still law. And so we exist by virtue of our baptism in a struggle, um, by virtue of our baptism, through faith, we are wholly a saint. Not 50%. That's, you know, a simul Nestorianism. Um, but we are wholly a saint, but we are also wholly a sinner. Um, not partly, partly, but completely. And so our flesh needs that law. The old man needs that law. But at the same time, the old man is extremely religious and knows he can use the law to his end sometimes, too. Um, and so the old man needs to be reminded you don't get to pick our works, right? God, through faith, is going to work in us, in our vocations, and, and the works he's prepared in advance for us to do, that in many ways, as, as Ken is getting at, the law is go- the third use is going to affirm, if we want to speak that way. Um, but remember that we're always talking to people who are both sinner saint, and that law is always law, and law is, and gospel is always gospel. And um, people and, can, and the saints are doing work, like you said. Right. The saints are already doing their work. They don't even realize work, it. I mean, Matthew 25, it. the yeah. sheep and the goats, when did I do this? As Pieper gets to the end of that essay, it gets a little interesting. As you can see, he's trying to explain how this works with sanctification in the narrow sense of the Christian life. But he, he um, even as he brings up the third use, he he's very good about reminding us that law is law and, and what exactly law does. So he references, for instance, Formula 6, and on page 61, and then he says, um, we note that the confession strongly emphasizes that the law must always be held before us Christians because of our old Adam, not only for teaching and as a mirror, as a mirror for our sin, but also as force and intimidation. Um, and he gets at that law is still law. 
And I think something to remember with that too, as Peeper brings out earlier, if you if you choose to read through this later around page twenty five, um, he notes the law also kills because it increases sin. It drives the sinner ever deeper into sin. The law drives and urges us urges one into self righteousness and pride, another into sin and vice. It makes one into a miserable hypocrite, another into a miserable slave of vice, both into furious enemies of God and the law. And then he's going to talk about how this is exactly what Paul says in Romans, which of course it is. Um, but I think the helpful reminder for us in that too is the law doesn't increase sin because there's a problem with the law. The law is the best thing we have in this life apart from Christ and the gospel. Luther himself says in the Heidelberg Disputation, this is the most salutary doctrine of life. The problem is what the law has to work with, which is us. And so um, the law increases sin, and it does that in two ways. It does it first because it amplifies my sin. It holds it before my eyes so that I'll recognize it as sin. Um, but also all of us who have ever been two years old and told not to touch the oven knows exactly what this means too. Um, it piques our interest as sinners. Um, it excites us. And, uh, and so sometimes I'll ask my students, well, why do people sin? And they'll try to come up with great answers. And finally, I'll say, well, because it's fun. Right? It's fun in the moment until the next morning you have a hangover or you have to go to the clinic or um, a relationship is strained or whatever the case may be. But in the moment, something concupiscence, right? We're with a desire that something seems attractive about that. And so as we use the third use of the law, if we don't, the spirit uses it, I don't even like that language. But um, we need to remember it's still the law and the very law that we think is going to get good works out of them is also going to incite to sin, which means it absolutely is of little use for true sanctification, godly living, without the gospel. And Peeper is very good for bringing us back to that. I think Formula 6 goes back and forth, you know, back to that again and again. Is that, um, as Paul says, his whole thesis statement for the epistle to Romans, Romans 1.17, uh, is from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Um, it's through the gospel that we actually live. And anything that forgets that, that gives some positive role to the law in the sense of positive that it that the law will produce truly good works, misses that and there, therefore undermines sanctification, undermines the Christian life, and really sets us up for despair or self-righteousness. That's a lot all at once, but I'll throw it out there for you Maybe guys. Maybe just one comment and then we'll let um, Kent talk. Um, when you're a pastor, when you get to know people, then this law gospel thing becomes less of an abstraction. And so you come out and you say, okay, here's law, here's gospel, and here's third use of the law. When you get to know people, you understand their struggles, and uh, you know, just stereotypically, the you know, the the mother who is just swamped, you know, and and doubly, she has she has no uh, fin- deep financial problems, or her 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 marriage is fine, um, and that's even more reason for her to feel guilty about being cranky all day at her kids and she's overwhelmed like that. And you realize when I preach that and every sermon, I'll be a good person. Um, that's really hurting them. And so by knowing your people as not, you start preaching less in this abstraction kind of, okay, I'm doing law. Now I'm doing gospel. Now I'm doing third use of the law. And then, uh, and then that'll be good. Um, you get to know your people, but that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily happen all the time, though. You could have a pastor who has been 20 years in a parish and maybe still doesn't get it. 
And so then the turn becomes, I know these people and I've been preaching the truth to them for 20 years and they're still the same as when I got here. I think some of them are even worse. And then you kind of get frustrated. So you're, you're not in an abstract thing, but then you double down on why aren't you guys coming to church? Why don't you give more? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Because you get frustrated, frustrated with these people that they have not changed their, their life. And I think a lot of pastors, if they would admit it, were you talking to Trisha before? Are, 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 are at that place right now and they're losing joy in their ministry and the people can tell on Sunday mornings where they've lost the joy and it's just kind of a place of frustration and it's not a place of um, loving gospel oriented ministry. All right, Peter, look at, or Mike, look at the clock. I want one minute, then I'm going to throw this to Kent. Um, so a couple thoughts with that. I think one of the big temptations for pastors is we can fall into one of two ditches in this regard with law and gospel. When we kind of lose our trust in law and gospel, we can fall into managed decline. I'm just going to cross my checklist and do the things I'm supposed to do and try not to do anything wrong, not get in trouble with the church body or the, the church council or whoever I don't want to be in trouble with. The other side is to take control through a lack of faith in law and gospel to try to think, okay, I'm going to save this church now. Um, and that inevitably ends up back in all law, right? If we're not distinguishing law and gospel, we're only making distinctions under the law. And, and that becomes problematic. Um, I think in connection to that, too, something that when I was at Kent's church, something he had in a sermon that I found just to be refreshing was you were preaching on the five foolish virgins and the five wise, and you mentioned in there the law could be, what about all those people who aren't here with their torches? Um, and you moved away from that to law for your people. But anything on, anything with law and gospel or with that, um, I thought that was a helpful illustration you had of how... Your time's up. First order law versus just law. Sorry. You want me to I just threw a lot. Anywhere you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think sometimes we can take take those parables and other things like that, and, and we can break them down to say, well, these are the sheep, these are the goats, these are the people without oil, these are the people with oil. And I think one of the things I love about that that parable of the wise and foolish virgins, and I, I can't remember if I brought this out or not, I think I did, was the idea that the, the whole key there is the, the bridegroom came. It's not, how do you necessarily, it's just that he, he came, and the foolish aspect of it is that they, they go to try to buy oil. You know, it's not that they, they that they're the wicks or the, the lamps or anything else, it's just that they thought it was more important to get the oil than to actually see the bridegroom. Now, there would be probably those that would, would debate on that. But I think, um, again, I, and I think that's that whole formula type of thing that we're, we're kind of so used to is, is that, well, this is, you either have oil or you don't, you're a sheep or you're a goat, and, and are you in this camp or are you that camp and so forth. But that's not necessarily knowing your people. Well, and it's not really people. I mean, this is one of the things with the Lutheran understanding of the simile, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that the people are both. That's the point. And right. they need to be preached to as both. Right. And so that means that they, the, the, when the pride is, is welling up, they need to hear that law and it needs to cut them to the core. Yeah. But when that law has done its work, they need that bomb of the gospel. They need it more than anything. And they need it, as Wade keeps getting back to, for you. It's not just Jesus did this for the world. Right. He did it for 
you. Right. I think um, I, I'm a son of a pharmacist. Um, drug dealer. A drug dealer? Yeah. yeah. May he rest in peace. Uh, died uh, 13 years ago. Um, dad was a pharmacist. Grandfather was a pharmacist. Great-grandfather, pharmacist. All owned a corner drugstore. Uh, same corner drugstore for 81 years. And I learned more about pastoral ministry, surprisingly, from my dad as a pharmacist than I did my time at the seminary and vicarage and whatnot. My my dad was a, yeah, a drug dealer guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> I'm really going to get in trouble, right? Yeah, you're talking about, you know, offending people in your synod or whatnot. But um, the disclaimer covers all of this. They so don't have right. to <laughs> But if you, if you looked at it from that perspective um, – you go to like a Walgreens or a CVS today and whatnot, and it's like, okay, your prescription number 357 of the day, the pharmacist puts it in the in the thing and, and then gives it to you, and you're on your way. And I, I love how they have like the little consultation desk because that's just bogus. The, the pharmacist does, does not want to talk to you about any of that stuff. And being sort of an independent local pharmacy, my dad really – prided himself in knowing his customers. And I will never forget, I used to work in the summertime uh, uh, cleaning for him and whatnot, and you would have people who'd come in and they would, they came in to get their blood pressure medication. They, you know, they'd ask about how family was doing. My dad would talk to them and so forth. And what I noticed over time was, is that uh, a lot of these patients came in and my dad would, would give them the prescription or whatnot. And then he would ask, well, how's your husband doing? How's your, how's your wife doing? How are your kids? And I remember that you were struggling with this. And it wasn't even with what their prescription dealt with. It was just actually saying, in a sense, you're a human being. You're not a customer. And he would have some of these people who would come in very angry with him. You gave me the wrong prescription. You did this. They would blow up. And he would always kind of take that and say, okay, I, I messed up. I really did. But you seem very angry. What's going on? And he would he would stop what he was doing and actually come down and try to try to talk to people. He'd have other people who'd come in and say, you know, Bob, I, I coughed this up last night. <laughs> and and it was this idea of he would look at some situations like that and he would say, You need to go see the doctor now because if you don't, you might die. And in a sense, that's law. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, you're not in good health. You have to go see the doctor now. I can't help you with this. But that was also, uh, yes, that is something that says um, y- we're all going to die, yes, and you are in poor health. But it's also not standing there from the perspective of saying I'm a perfectly healthy uh, adult male and I'm I'm – I'm wanting to tell you how bad of, of your how bad your health is, just so I hope you know that. <laughs> it's actually applying this with with care and with with love, and I I just I would always look at my dad and say, how do you respond to those people who get so angry with with these things, with you and so forth? How do you respond with this idea of 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 love? And actually caring for them because I, I'd be tearing my hair out with with this, and I, I feel that way at times as a pastor too, but it's something that uh, he looked at he looked at me and he said, everybody is caught up in something, 
and he he would always reference the <laughs> the idea of of sin and uh, he talked to me one day about this that the, it was like a text I think on, on a Sunday morning of the woman who is caught up in adultery and he always said I love that image caught up it's like you're he was a big fisherman he it's like you're caught up in a net and you know you can't get out of it and he said a lot of these people can't they can't get out of the fact that they're addicted to cigarettes, they're addicted to alcohol, uh, they, they have horrible genetics, which is leading to all these other problems. And the last thing that they need from me, from me is, is to sort of bark at them as to you know, what, what their condition is. We all know that in some sense. But when they don't listen or they don't take the medication, yeah, I am gonna, I'm going to tell them, sorry, I'm, I don't feel bad for you because you're not doing what your doctor has stated. But overall, he says it's all about the medicine of, of what I'm trying to give to them, but also it's being compassionate in doing it. And that's, I don't know if I'm making a whole lot of sense with no, this. No, you're making but a it, lot of sense. But I think that whole concept of you're not numbers, you, you, are, you are actually fellow human beings. And one of the things, very simply, that I, I sort of challenge um, – uh, I'm challenging sort of my congregation right now to think about is is that every person that you you are next to in the church and outside of the church, sitting on the bus, sitting at work, whatever, is somebody that Christ has died for. Christ has actually knitted them in their mother's womb. He has died for them. And if he has gone to those lengths, you know, then how is it that, that you are treating them? And that's, again, that's law. And that that's actually had some people respond, yeah, I'm— I'm a pretty bad person, I guess. I this has really kind of made me think. But then it's also uh, bringing back that idea of of um, working with people in the church and outside of the church of that this is a this is a constant struggle. This is the Romans seven type of stuff. It's it's the symbol like you're talking about, and that this is not about you coming to church and getting sort of. Uh, um, the prescription that you you need just to to pop and and everything will be fine. It's it's going to be a, a constant struggle. I love what uh, I don't know if I can mention his name or not. With uh, probably getting more trouble, Capon says. Have you <laughs> you read well. his, have you read his foolish, foolishness of preaching? Parts, yeah, yeah. Where he text, he yeah. talks about you know taking everybody's religious pills and flushing them down the toilet. And but that's that's a lot of what I think uh, our people are are sort of conditioned with, and that that life is messy and and it's okay to actually admit that you know sometimes pastor i have i have a lot of doubt um i i'm preaching this sunday and the the text is uh, john the baptist in in prison i love that text are you the one or should we look for another who in the pew or the pulpit hasn't ever asked that question you know well i don't know he was he was trying to convert his disciples oh, come on that's not I don't think that's necessarily where our people in the pews are, are at. I, right. I get both perspectives. Well, that, to me, it's the same as when people say Romans 7 can't really be Paul talking about himself, because why would Paul... <laughs> of course, John the Baptist could have had doubts, yeah. yeah. I mean, after all, we name our churches after Paul, you know? <laughs> so. I, I think, um, I mean, just excellent stuff, and way better than Mike's ever brought to the show. Uh, I'm just joking, but uh, we. Uh, I was I was reading today, and I. This I, is this is all because you you gave me the the hoodie. 
that could that be. I haven't seen yet. Yeah, we we need no, to. Oh, I just that I just caught you off guard. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> they didn't promise me any. It uh, <laughs> he uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna murder his name, and I I I know of his work, and I know him through online too. But, um, Missouri Synod, uh, Peter, he's from Poland. Peter Peter Malas. Peter P- Peter Malas Ma- Malas. Yes. All right. Well, good. I'm going to trust your pronunciation. But I was reading uh, an article he has today, or essay in God's Two Words, which is a law and gospel in the Lutheran and Reformed traditions. And he talks about the Christian life. So we, we've been brought to faith. The, the gospel has been given to us. And along the, the imagery of talking about your father and, and how he dealt with people, he writes, Likewise, the Christian life is one of putting on the neighbor with his or her anxieties, enslavements, and sins. It is a life of first justifying the neighbor as a person before applying the law to judge the neighbor's works. And I thought, that's a, a pretty down, darn powerful way to think of it. And really a lot of connections to the episode with Adam Morton with the image of God and how that radically changes things when we see the very image of God itself as gospel, that you know this isn't something they earned by the law, but something God granted. And... Uh, I think, yes, it's law, deal with people as if they are in God's image and reading. But at the same time, this is the most Christ-like thing we can do once, right, Christ has been given us, Christ has declared us his own through the gospel. Yeah, we, I think, mentioned this on a previous episode, a curious thing when, when Jesus, uh, when the disciples um, are shooing away the children and Jesus says, let the children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he doesn't say they have value because they're human beings and they deserve it. <laughs> he doesn't say, he doesn't even say they have value because they're created in, in my image in the image of God, but that heaven belongs to them. And that's what you're saying. These are people, we, we, we have a little extra reason to value human beings, not just because, Hey, they're humans like us. Christ died for them. Right, mm-hmm. and it's a much more gospel-oriented way of looking at somebody rather than, and it it it, it can be mixed. I'm, I'm gonna, this is an artificial split here, but I say that person is created in the image of God. Therefore, uh, there's certain laws that I should abide by to give them respect because I should, and that's just a little bit different. And that can be fine, but it's a little bit different, and this can be law too. But it's a little bit different to say. Um, that's a person Christ died for. And this is, you know, this is not necessarily a gospel step towards the law or a gospel of springboard. This is rather what the new man just is and does in Christ. You think of the parable of the unmerciful servant. The point of the parable of the unmerciful, unmerciful servant is not to law you into being merciful. It's to drive home the point, how inconsistent with this, with, with being gospeled, is it to then go and act like this? Rather, right, that's the abnormal behavior that this unmerciful servant is having. How many aren't forgiven and then, right, that it just flows from the spontaneity that is the, the freedom of the gospel. And I think that that is an important reminder as well. Um, just last thing I have, and then I'm going to be quiet. Doubtful. One of, the, one of the things I've spent a lot of time thinking about in, in the, if the new book ever comes out, but in working on that new book, <clears throat> something that came up a lot in that is sermon is absolution, right? We, we tend to think of absolution and we think that thing at the beginning of the service, maybe if we're lucky, private absolution, I would encourage people to really consider that it's something to hear 
um, your to to say your sin and to hear it forgiven. It's a radical like shock, even if you've known the gospel your whole life. But the sermon is is absolution. If someone were to ask you, well, what's the what's the Bible a book about? I think we oftentimes would go, well, Jesus came and he died and he paid for our sins and then he rose and so now we can go to heaven, and that's all true. <clears throat> and in many ways, the book, the letter to the Hebrews, it gets at that. But it's also this story where Jesus came and he died, we killed him, and he rose, and guess what? He forgave us. <laughs> he he came out of his grave, and what's the very first thing he does? He absolves his apostles. And, you know, sermons need not be formulaic. They can be textual. And uh, And yes, there's a great sermon, and Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world. But there's also just that wonderful truth that we did the most terrible things you could ever do to someone. We did that to God. And he got up, and the very first thing he said wasn't, what were you, come on, dude, what were you, guys, that's not cool. Um, rather, it's your peace, my peace I give you. Uh, your sins are forgiven. And you know what, guys? Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven too. And I think that that's uh in preaching something to keep in mind, that we let the bird fly with the law and the gospel, that we let the bird fly with the law, knowing that let the law do its work and the law is going to kill and it's supposed to do that and uh, it's its sting, but we do that with an eye towards the gospel. We're always looking to move towards the gospel and then we don't hedge our bets on the gospel. Well, what if they're not sorry enough? Peeper has a whole page where he goes off on this. You can tell he's upset about it. Uh, nowhere does the Bible say like what level of contrition is sufficient. Um, just absolve, let it fly. And you know what? If deep down they don't believe it, well, God will deal with that. Uh, I think he'll be able to weather that storm. He'll figure it out. But in the end, the truth is Christ died. He rose. He absolved. Just let it fly. And don't hedge it and don't try to use it as a springboard to get to something else. Because end of the day, that's the life of the church. And if the church is declining and that's not our message, then we deserve to decline. And I hope we decline a whole lot faster because we're just, a, you know, a B-team Dr. Phil um, in AA with even worse coffee. But um, I think, uh, you know, if we get back to that, the end of the day, we're about the absolution. Um, people might be surprised to see what happens in churches, even to see what happens in families and marriages, because end of the day, it's in forgiveness we live in Christ. Um, and so that's, uh, I'm on my bully pulpit, and I'm not talking for any more of the episode unless I, you know, think of a funny joke. I, I think as an individual to... Mike, where'd you put that Book of Mormon? <laughs> why are you... <laughs> when you were talking, I was thinking about all, also the individual. It, there there was a little bit of a, a switch for me when I finally realized this, and, and I still fall back into the bad traps uh, daily, especially with people who annoy me, but... I got to the point where um, you just, when people sinned against you and you kind of had a forgiving attitude to them and there was something in the back of the mind, well, if I keep doing this, they're going to, they're, they're going to continue to take advantage of me. And this is so true being a college professor, right? If you give any leeway and, and there's limits there because I'm not serving my students if I let them get away with not turning in their sci- assignments on time all the time and that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of uh, college professors, if they were being honest, would would get annoyed with that because it's an insult to them. It's not so much that they're so worried about the um, the progress of their students, but it's an insult to them as their professor. And I finally, you you, you get to the point where you're freed with the gospel and you let that free, free 
that free gospel forgiveness just fly? And, you know, if it changes their hearts in this particular instance, great. If not, okay. I'm not, ta- I'm not taking that gospel and then being ticked off when that gospel did not change. I forgave that person, and then they sinned against me in the same exact way. Just get over that for a little bit. And the only way you get over that is uh, realizing that you do the same darn thing and people forgive you. <laughs> well, right, and, and which, which sins did Jesus die for again? Right. It was yeah. all of them. Right. Not just those that went contrite. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. No, but that, I mean, that that's really like when we take that that approach, this is we're, we're rolling right back into that judgment that we're just drawn to as human beings. We want to judge other people. And I'm convinced that the reason we want to judge other people is because it makes us feel better. It's not so much about finding their faults and, and, and you know, pushing them down. It's it's by pushing them down, you're creating, you know, you, you think that you're elevating yourself. Um, when, you know, you see this with your kids, at least my kids, all the time, when they're belittling their, their sibling, it's not, not because they necessarily think their sibling is so inferior. It's mm-hmm. just they want to feel more superior, right? Right. You know I mean, the truth of the matter... Peter, I thought you were way, done talking with Yeah, you. but you know what would help keeping them from interacting and hurting each other's feelings? What's that? Phones. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we're we're such bad sinners, Peter, that we really don't care about those people. Right. I mean, we really don't. I mean, we're we're they're a tool for our self justification and self value. I mean, that's finally what we're using them as. We we are misusing those people, and it's the farthest thing from when Jesus said, um, "Such is the kingdom of of God." That these are the people that have that I redeemed. Uh, yeah, it, it's I. I speak about this sometimes when people are oh you're so nervous about coming into a new classroom or public speaking or what are people going to think how i look or whatever i go it's even worse they don't care about you at all (laughs) you know so just forget about it (laughs) Uh, we really are that bad and uh finally sometimes to get over that that's a beautiful thing when you when you find that space you're going to go back of course but um it it is a freeing thing this gospel why don't we give our distinguished guest the the last well if i can just briefly let's thank him first can't we thank you for coming on um my pleasure you're new to the area. Um, you got asked by a bunch of Wisconsin Synod guys to come sit in a small room with them and talk into microphones, uh, and you did it. So I thank you for that. We didn't even have cheese. We didn't even serve cheese. I know. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. And uh, That's but we slightly disappointing. <laughs> yeah, we'll owe you cheese and a hoodie. Um, but I appreciate you doing it. I hope uh, if you're ever willing to, we can get you back on sometime. We, Anytime. We like having kind of a, a, a group of pastors that we can go to. Um, and so with that, maybe we'll give you any last thoughts you have. Um, I, I really appreciated um, what you were just talking about with this perspective of um, well, your, your theme, too, sort of just letting it fly. Um, <clears throat> I, love, um, I love the parable of the sower of the seed and the fact that um, the sower is sowing recklessly. Mm-hmm. He's just throwing it everywhere. And um, we that's the that's actually the theme for our school year this year is is uh, planting seeds. And I thought you were going to say be reckless. <laughs> but but it yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting off well here with uh, yeah, go ahead, be reckless, but uh, um 
No, but that idea and the the Sunday prior to the school year starting, we we used that text, and it was this idea that I kind of brought up the idea in the sermon that you know look at how we plant things today. Go out to a farm, and it's it's orderly, systematic. It's you know one little hole for one little seed, and so and that's not how the kingdom works, uh, the kingdom of God. And the fact is, is that he throws it everywhere, rocky soil, thorny soil, it's eaten up, it's in the good soil. But this is this is also, again, not sitting there and saying, try to be the good soil. It's the idea that wherever you're at in this stage, these stages of life, because there are these times that we, we are in, we're rocky soil, we're, we're thorny, you know, whatever it might be. He's still sowing the seed. And I think one of the freedoms that pastors can truly have is is that that's what they are supposed to do. Give them the goods. Give them uh, the gifts of Christ. I mean, put them in their place in terms of where they stand, yes, with the law, but then but then sow that, that gospel recklessly and, and to all. And... Um, and then, uh, then yes, let let God be the one who who decides, uh, because I'm I'm certainly not going to be able to, to figure it out. I've been doing this for uh, 16 years now, and just when you think, hey, <laughs> I know where I'm going, and I know where these people are going, bam, something happens. And, and how freeing and, it is not to have that burden. Yeah, but and that's it is it is so difficult for us as as uh, as pastors today with our with our churches. Because it is so focused on the numbers, the successes, and so forth. And there's a lot of uh, undue pressure, I think, sometimes it's put on pastors with that, that um, not only is it, well, they don't seem to be listening or going about what it is that I'm trying to give to them, but, you know, you get you get in with other pastors, and there, there doesn't always seem to be the consolation of that. Yes, we're all in this together. Um, it's always, well, my church is doing this program or that we're doing this. And you kind of think, I'm just trying to get them to hear the word of God. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I really, I really do. I keep going back to that, um, that parable. I, 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 it's always been one of those, those parables that, uh, I, I hold to very firmly with just, just throwing it, throwing these things out there for any and all. And you're going to see a, a myriad of results. If you do good, expect suffering, and uh, uh, let God be the one who is uh, who is in control. I uh, my the guy that preached for my ordination told me that he basically said, you know, uh, s- speak the word, administer the sacraments, shut up, and get out of the way. Sure. Yeah. Well, as the only non-pastor here, and oddly, that's it's weird to say in a room with Wade. Peter, but, do you um, want us to ordain you? I mean, we like, can we can do that. <laughs> no, do you gonna, want Missouri Senate gonna, or Wisconsin Senate? You have both uh, options. Man, that's that's he tough, has yeah. to he has to put his hand on the Book of Mormon, right? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all that's, I have. That's Wade's Senate. <laughs> no, I was going to say, as the only pastor here, I'll give a, a little bit of advice. We started off with the proper distinction of long gospel, and obviously, that's really, I mean, the keeping these two. Um, chief teachings of scripture, you know, clearly, you know, distinct and understanding that they interrelate one without the other is is meaningless, right? I mean, without the gospel, the law is only condemnation. And without the law, the gospel is insulting, right? So these have to, the, these these interplay with each other and they fit perfectly when we understand our life as the both sinner and the saint. And so for pastors, the impossible task of knowing when to apply that, well, 
it's not your task really to know when to apply that. You're called to apply it, right? As you said, to cast the seed. And so you faithfully preach the law and it condemns and it cuts and cuts down and it mortifies. And then you faithfully preach the gospel and always preach the gospel to you, right? To the person. And then as that has been preached to them and they've heard that saving message from Christ himself coming through your lips, they're free to let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down.